One of the things that I've always enjoyed is watching nature documentaries. Even as a kid, I'd race home to catch half-hour episodes on Canadian wildlife, always eager to see which animal would be featured and to learn a little bit more about the world that we live in. So I've been glad to see that nature documentaries have been making a bit of a comeback in recent years with feature films like March of the Penguins, Earth, and Chimpanzee making enough of a splash that there are now dozens available on various streaming services. And one of my personal favorites is Monkey Kingdom, a Disney Plus film which introduces you to the highly stratified society of the talk macaque through the eyes of a young female named Maya. Now, Maya is a monkey of low status, so when her family goes out to forage, Maya is forced to scour the forest floor or even to swim awkwardly out into caiman-infested waters if she wants to find enough food to eat for her and her baby. And if you're wondering why she isn't up in a tree with the rest of the macaques, it's because she isn't important enough. Even the lowest branches of the family's favorite tree are exclusively for the use of the troop's most important monkeys, with the uppermost branches reserved for Raja, the alpha male in his hand-picked harem. And trust me when I tell you that this hierarchy is strictly enforced. Any attempt made by a low-status monkey like Maya to get at food the other monkeys in the troop feel she's not entitled to will result in the offending party being driven off and punished. It really is social stratification at its rawest without even the thinnest veneer of civilization to cover up its naked inequity. But I suppose there's at least an honesty to it that may be lacking in our own. You see, the world we live in is really just as stratified. We just have a more complex way of expressing it. We express it through our clothes, because people who wear off-the-rack specials from Walmart often lead a very different life from those who can afford to wear designer everything down to their sneakers. We express it through our cars, because it really does matter whether you're driving a beat-up, rust-red Ford pickup or a sleek, black, fully-loaded 2023 BMW 8 Series when you're trying to break into certain social circles. We express it through our homes because there really is a social distinction made between people who are living in the north end in an apartment and living in a riverfront home on the south end. And then we drive those differences home with our choice of lifestyle. Because while they're popular pastimes, not everyone can afford to go golfing or sailing or flit off to the Caribbean when it starts to get cold. And we do have a tendency to exclusively socialize with people who share our hobbies and interests and life experiences. And while there's an awful lot of blurring of those lines, as here in Canada we are a little less class conscious, don't think for a minute that means you get to hang out with whoever you want to. Because you better believe that most of the people that are here this morning with us would find themselves as unwelcome at a rave as ravers would at a cocktail party, as these two gatherings are intended for two wildly different kinds of people. And while there's no punishment, per se, for having stepped outside your social circle, 
If you have trouble fitting in with your new friends, you'll soon find that the sidelong looks and verbal snubs you get are going to make you start to feel real unwelcome. Because we don't like to be seen with those whose social status is too different from our own. And we have lots of little ways of letting people know that they just aren't welcome. But if you really want to know where you fit in, then you just need to pay attention when it's mealtime rolls around. Because there's a big difference between meeting up at Timmy's and being invited to supper at someone's home. Between eating out at McDonald's and having dinner at the club. Or going out for beer and pretzels and enjoying a five-course meal at a Michelin star restaurant complete with wine pairings. Each of these situations represent a vastly different social setting with completely different social circles and a meal you'd likely share with only a very particular group of people. People like you, for the most part, unless you're a bit of a social climber. But the social stratification doesn't stop there. Just watch how people maneuver for seats at a table, each trying to be seated next to a certain person or to be a little closer to the food or just trying to make sure they don't end up too far away from the host. It's all a game. A game where each of us tries to prove that we hold the superior social status by selecting what we consider to be the prime seats at the table. And the sad truth is, we play it all the time. Whether consciously or unconsciously, whenever we grab a seat at a table where there's more than one person. It's like we're driven by our very nature to prove that we're important prove that we deserve to sit at the top of the tree with the big monkeys and are willing to wear anything, buy anything, eat anything, anywhere with anyone to prove it. But this isn't really anything new. Attaching social status to eating is even older than the Bible. You see, in Jesus' day, mealtime was the hub around which your social circle turned. You ate with your friends, you ate with your relatives, you ate with your wealthiest neighbors as often as you could manage because your social status was almost wholly determined by who you ate with on a regular basis. And what made the social wheel turn, so to speak, was that an invitation to eat, once accepted, was meant to be reciprocated. So if I invited you out to have lunch with me on Tuesday, I could be pretty sure that you'd invite me to have lunch with you before the end of the month. It's also why you always invited your rich neighbors. Not because you expected them to show up, but if they did, you'd almost surely get to eat with them and their friends at some point, and that would set you on the fast track to wealth and social status. Conversely, you never invited anyone you thought beneath you or who might embarrass you, because to be seen eating with them could only diminish you in the eyes of others, and you ran the real risk of discovering that they were too poor to reciprocate. So... It just wasn't done. But if you really wanted to know what your worth was in the eyes of your friends, you just needed to pay attention to where you were allowed to sit at table. You see, seating at mealtimes wasn't just a matter of pulling up a chair because 
Each chair was literally ranked from lowest to highest, with the host sitting at the table's head and his least important guest sitting at its foot. And that meant getting a seat at the table was very competitive. You had to size up the other guests quickly and try to figure out where you fit in in order that you can grab the seat as close to the head of the table as you dared. Because the risk you ran was that you might rate yourself a little too highly and be asked to take the lowest seat at the table to make way for a more distinguished guest. And um, that would be humiliating. So you had to be quick and careful if you wanted to prove to your neighbors just how special you were. Jesus, on the other hand, dared to suggest we adopt a different strategy when it came to playing these high-stakes social status games. Jesus suggested that we try to secure the lowest seat at the table. That way, when your host arrives, you will be asked to take a higher seat and thus be elevated in the eyes of your friends. Now, I'm sure the other dinner guests were there with Jesus that day, thought that, you know, this was a really great idea. Not only did you get the best seat possible given to you, but it had the added bonus of humiliating a potential rival for your host's affections. But that really wasn't what Jesus was saying at all. What Jesus was trying to say was that we shouldn't regard ourselves as anyone special, but should see ourselves as no better or worse than the person sitting next to us, whoever they happen to be. Because we don't need to prove that we're special. God says we're special. And any further effort on our part to elevate ourselves above our peers is really just an effort to stroke our ego and service our pride. It's unnecessary and unjustified because the only purpose it serves is to create artificial barriers between us that say we can't talk or eat or even empathize with those who are beneath us because we are so much better than them. When the truth is... We're not. We're exactly like them. It's only the injustice inherent in our present social hierarchy that allows us to maintain the illusion that we are, which is exactly what Jesus goes after next. He says to his host, when you're planning a meal, don't invite the usual crowd. Your friends, your family, your wealthy neighbor you're still hoping to get an invite from. Instead, you should invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind, not because they can repay you, but expressly because they can't. And while that won't make you special in the eyes of your neighbors, it will make you special in the eyes of God. And honestly, whose respect would you rather have? Your neighbors or God's? See, do you see what Jesus is inviting us to do? He's inviting us to consider ourselves to be no one special. To stop with all the monkey business and look past the clothes and the cars and the homes and the seating arrangements we use to elevate ourselves in the eyes of others and try to see the world from God's point of view. To realize that we're already special. That we're no different than the person sitting next to us. And if we really want to prove to God that we are a cut above the rest, to make a gift of our wealth 
and status to those our society tells us are beneath us. Because they're not. They're special too. And it's well past time we accepted the truth of that and ask them to join us at our table. Now, can you say amen to that? <laughs>